The following audio is from LifePoint Church, located in O'Fallon, Missouri. For more information about LifePoint Church, visit us online at thelifepointconnection.com. What's up, guys? I see a lot of new faces here that I don't know. Well, just like Eric said, um, my wife and I uh, came to this church when we were lost, uh, when we were sinners, I mean, we're, we're still sinners, but we're getting better at it, and, um, and I just want to talk about, a little bit about right now, before I get into the preaching for today, uh, what the church has done for us, uh, so a little bit about, Eric kind of briefly touched on it, me and my wife were lost completely, you know, going the other way, I always say to Eric, I, I was minding my own business going my way, right? And, uh, and this church, he, he was planting this church, and it was just an amazing thing that he invited us, we came, and we just, uh, you know, it just, the gospel just blew our mind. Since then, it was um, a, a season of refinement, um, and <clears throat> The church came around us and actually like guided us all, every, like, like it, was, it was like everyone. And um, it was just beautiful. And that's life point, right? So um, for you new people that are church shopping, welcome home. Um, and so then we were raised up and we became ministers and uh, my wife started the LP Fitness that is still going on today. LP Fit. And, um, and then I started uh, uh, LifePoint Espanol um, a few years ago, and, but it didn't survive because the dynamic preacher had to move to California. <laughs> I don't know who that guy is, but I mean, um, so... We moved to California. It's, it's kind of a, a crazy thing to hear, especially in, amongst pastors and things like that, that you plant a church and move. I mean, Paul did it, right? So, uh, but you, you, that's not usually now how it works. But we had to move because um, family members of my, on my wife's, uh, my in-laws, um, her sister died of cancer. And then um, after we moved there, uh, about a year later, her father died. My father-in-law died. So we were there because God wanted us to be there. And then now it's um, an amazing thing that God is just moving and, and making a way for me and my wife to plant a church in California, which is uh, where churches go to die. So we have our work cut out for us, but we also have a mighty, mighty God that is behind us and empowering us. And it's, I mean, we're just going to follow him. Uh, we, just, like Eric said, we just went through assessment. Um, I passed, my wife didn't pass. No, I'm, <laughs> uh, that's not how it works. But um, we, we passed, uh, we got a green light. Uh, we still need some contextualization assignments on how to reach the community because 
we're not really from there. Uh, my wife was from there, but now we're strangers. So um, we're going to go through that this year, and, you know, we are going to need support from you guys. Um, so it's going to be great to support a church plant that actually started from LifePoint in California. Now, I mean, um, that's not where I thought I was going to be ever, but God makes a way, right? Amen? All right. Enough about me. Um, let's see. Get into our text today. Pray real quick. Lord Jesus, um, we just pray that you speak today that you are with us, that you open our eyes and our ears to hear your words, not my words. Uh, remove me from this. It is only you who is going to be glorified today. Amen. When I, when I pray, I often think of my, my conversion. I often think about when God called me. I think about the person that God chose to present me the gospel. Have you guys ever thought about that? Have you guys ever pictured what they were thinking? Huh? Have you ever thought about, like, what they had to go through to even be in front of you? You see, God sent me a church-planting pastor. And I think about, like, what if he was scared? What if he didn't keep on inviting me over and over and over and over again. I mean, would my wife and I have been saved just 10 years ago? Then I quickly think about the apostle and the tragic ends to their lives, and all of them suffered to present the gospel. What were they thinking? And then it changes to the early church, and I just think about, what if they would have just said, Kaiser Curios, which means Caesar is Lord. Would they have been tortured and murdered and persecuted? What if they were too afraid to stand steadfast and preach the gospel? What if they didn't trust God? What were they thinking? And then I think about, do I even trust God, Lord? Do I trust your provisions? Do I trust your protection? Do I even believe what I'm supposed to do? do? Have I even truly been persecuted? Why me, Lord? Why me? I can't do this without you. I'm a fraud, Lord. Do you even love me, Lord? Am I your child? Lord, say something to me. Does anyone struggle with that? Or is it just me? Just me. Well, there is hope. Let's turn to Exodus chapter 4. Let's turn to Exodus chapter 4. And while God was literally talking to Moses, verse 4, or chapter 4, verse 10 through 16. Don't count me off, Eric. <laughs> uh, while God was literally talking to Moses, he was looking at the burning bush, and the holy mood music was in the background, right? And God was telling Moses what he would be doing. Right? And it says this. But Moses says to the Lord, Oh, my Lord, I am not eloquent, either in the past or since you have spoken to your servant. But I am slow of speech and of tongue. 
Then the Lord said to him, who has made man's mouth? Imagine. God, I can't. Who has made man's mouth? I'm like, uh, you, right? Who makes him mute or deaf, seeing or blind? Is it not I, the Lord? Now therefore go, and I will be with your mouth and teach you what you shall speak. But he said, oh, my Lord, please send someone else. Then the anger of the Lord was kindled against Moses, and he said, is there not Aaron, your brother, the Levite? I know that he can speak well. Behold, he is coming out to meet you, and he and when he sees you, he will be glad in his heart. You shall speak to him and put words in his mouth, and I will be with your mouth and with his mouth and will teach you both what to do. He shall speak for you to the people, and he shall be your mouth, and you shall be as God to him. Now, in the presence of God, Moses is saying no to God, right? Moses is saying no. And these uh, verses are not in, a, in the slide, but let's look at the previous chapter in chapter uh, 3, uh, verse 11. Real quick, don't have to turn there. Uh, I'm just going to read it. Uh, Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the children of Israel out of Egypt? Now, this is Moses responding to God. Like, he's like, who am I? Does that sound familiar? Isn't that literally what we're saying to God every time he calls us to do something? And then in uh, verse 4, chapter 4, it says, and this isn't up on the screen either, but behold, they will not believe me or listen to my voice, for they will say, the Lord did not appear to you. He's literally trying to sell God on why he's not the one. And in the beginning of our text in verse 10, he says, I am not eloquent either in the past or since you have spoken to your servant. But I am slow of speech and of tongue. And after God is doing amazing things, amazing things in front of his eyes, look, in the ESV, the name of the chapter says, Moses given powerful signs. We know who didn't read his Bible, right? I mean, and then in verse 13 it says, Oh my Lord, please send someone else. We've all been there haven't we? We've all been there. We have absolutely been there. How many of you have witnessed the Lord doing mighty works in front of your eyes and you still don't trust him? You still believe the lies. Well, you're not alone because when we are called by God, it is in our nature, it is in our flesh to naturally reject God. It is in our flesh to naturally be in rebellion towards God. This is exactly what happens to me. It seems like every time God calls me to do anything. Everyone who God calls, whether it be the early church, the apostles, or that church planning pastor, is in a battle. We are all in a battle. We are all in a battle together. And look what it says in verse 14. It says, the anger of the Lord was kindled against Moses. God's anger was kindled against Moses. And that's definitely not a position that I would like to be in. But look at what God does in his anger. In his anger, he provides a helper. In your rebellion, God provides you a helper. He provides each one of us a helper, a supernatural helper that encourages us and empowers us. Our helper is much better than Aaron. Aaron is nothing compared to the third part of the Holy Trinity. Now look at what God says in verse 
15, it says, You shall speak to him and put words in his mouth, and I will be with your mouth and with his mouth, and will teach you both what to do. He shall speak for you to the people, and he shall be your mouth, and you shall be as God to him. Now, don't get it twisted. We are not little G gods. But the main point is that God will be with Moses. God will be with Moses, will be with his mouth, and teach them just like he is with one, all of us. And we also need to understand that since we're not David, we're not Moses either. We're not the hero of the story. We're not the prefiguring of the Messiah. God is the hero and will always be the hero. But we can definitely identify with what Moses said to God, right, and what he's going through. It's in, it's in our sinful nature to oppose God. Our flesh can't help to be in rebellion towards God. We want God to bless our will, but there's no room for God's will. Now, if we're honest with ourselves, we want all of the blessings of God with no God and no sacrifice. I sometimes think about how different we would react. If I don't know, let's say one of the Avengers showed up, like Iron Man or Thor, which is a pagan god, by the way. So, look, I like movies too. I love movies. But who would you tell if they just popped out of the screen over there? Who would you tell? Everyone, right? Or let's say Baby Yoda showed up, just waddled up there, and he just automatically gave you the force. Who would you tell? How would you use it? Did you know that Jesus said that people who believe would do greater things than he did? That God would send you a helper. That's way better than some imaginary force from some imaginary alien. Let's turn to John chapter 14, verse 12. John chapter 14, verse 12. Look what it says. says, truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do. And look, there's nothing greater than the works that Jesus did on earth, right? Nothing greater. And then it says, and greater works than these will he do because I'm going to the Father. Now, I ask, what greater things? Is it growing, growing people's legs an inch so they can walk better? Is it randomly healing back pains here and there? I know, it's making them rich, isn't it? No, none of that. Look, I do believe that God can restore physically and financially. But Jesus said greater things than he. And look at what it says in verse 15. He says, if you love me, you will keep my commandments, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever. And even the spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him right now, for he dwells with you right now, and he will be in you in the future. 
It sounds familiar. It sounds almost like the Great Commission, kind of, right? Almost, a little bit. Let, let, let's just read it. Let's just put it up there. Let, let's not turn there. I'm just going to read it. It's one of my favorites. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to, to me. Now go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Hmm. So, let's take this, right? What did he say in John uh, 14, 16? He says, I will ask the Father, and I will give you another helper to be with you forever. What did he say in uh, Matthew 28, verse 20? Behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. And then Exodus 4, 12, now therefore go, and I will be with your mouth and teach you what you shall speak. So it says in the Great Commission, John chapter 14 and Exodus 4, and this is the ultimate truth, that God is with his people. God is with the people he sends out. In our battles, in our battles, God sends us out and he is with us to empower us. But only man is greedy enough that he will forsake God for his own greedy endeavors. Only man is greedy enough for that. I want my stuff. I want my kingdom. It is in our fallen nature to want the miracles of God, the mighty works of God, and the credit. With no surrender, we want to be the ones healing, feeding 5,000, walking on water. We want to be the heroes of the story. We want to be the prefigurings of Christ instead of doing the greater things that Jesus spoke about in humility, in worship, and in obedience. What are the greater things? Right? We're asking, what are these greater things? So as Bible-believing Christians, what must we do? We must go. And what big event must happen when we go? If people want to see the kingdom, what big event? They must be born again. John chapter 3, verse 3, it says, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot, he cannot and will not see the kingdom of God. Now, this is the miracle. This is the great work, to be born again. As Jesus spoke to one of the most religious men in Israel, he said, you must be born again. Look, even the atheist is religious. Even the atheist. Anyone here who doesn't believe in that there's a God, you're the most religious person. Since they believe in the religion that was presented in the garden, the religion of self, that is atheism. You don't believe in God, you believe in yourself. That is the ultimate opposition to God. Everyone wants their thoughts to be ultimate. Everyone wants their thoughts to judge what God says. The second birth, the supernatural birth, the gospel destroys all of that. The gospel destroys all of that. If you're writing things down, the pinnacle of human existence is the gospel. The pinnacle. This is presented right up front to you. It is not some secret, religious, uh, occult, 
you mystery school thing that you have to study for. Jesus gives you the gospel right up front because he's not hiding anything. He wants you to know it up front. That is the gospel. So as messengers, without walking on water, without feeding 5,000, without healing, people are believing. As disciples of Christ, we get to be part of the second birth, the supernatural miracle birth. By the power of the Holy Spirit, God uses his church to raise people from the dead. That is the great work. We are bringing the words of eternal life to the dead. God, through his church, causes dead men and women to live, to spiritually rise from the dead. And as he sends you out, he says he will be with you to the end of the age. Here and now, here and now, since God empowers you, we must go. Since God empowers you, we must go. Since God is with you, we must go. And in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 1, it says, He has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. I ask, what were they thinking? What were they thinking? Here's the answer. God, the Holy Spirit, broke their hearts, invaded their minds and their bodies and souls so every Christian could preach the gospel so everyone could be born again. The only power compelling them is the Holy Spirit and is the Holy Spirit today. Whoa. It's crazy up there. God, the Holy Spirit, invaded them and empowered them. And cause them to preach the gospel so people can truly live, so they can be born again. And as Jesus sends us out, not as the heroes of the story, not as miracle workers, but look at what God does call you. As he sends you out, he calls you a soldier and he dresses you in holy armor in, in Ephesians chapter 6. He calls you a holy priesthood, a special nation, a chosen people. In 1 Peter chapter 2, we are more than conquerors through him who loves us. In Romans chapter 8, we are ambassadors of Christ. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, we are servants of Christ. In Galatians chapter 1 verse 10. And most importantly, God says that we are his children. We are his children. In 2 Corinthians chapter 6. And we are also the bride of Christ. We bear the name of Christ as Christians. We bear the name. So as we take his name, we do not take his name in vain. Amen. I get some amens, man. Right? Amen. Mm. Now, what do we do with all of this? What do we do with all of this? How then shall we live? Now, as the band comes up, as the band comes up, they always want to come up like little ninjas. Look at them. <laughs> Everyone, is a, like, like, like no one can see them. <laughs> I have a question. What do you think the question is? Chris, do you know the question? That's my son. I love him. You know the question I'm going to ask you? Can't wait till the band comes up.
What do you think the question is? What are you thinking? What are you thinking? Are you examining yourself? Are you, how are you presenting the gospel? Are you even presenting the gospel to anyone? Do you truly believe that the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, is at the door of the city? As ambassadors behind enemy lines, are you letting them know that if they repent of their sins and surrender to the king, surrender their lives, that the king will save them, that destruction and judgment will not come upon them? Have you even presented the gospel to anyone? Look, you don't need to move to the most ungodly state in the earth, the most antichrist state. You do not need to move there and plant a church, which is the most rebellious thing that you can do in California. You don't need to do that because you're in Egypt right now. You're in Sodom right now. You're in Nineveh right now. You're in Babylon right now. You're behind enemy lines today. Are you presenting the gospel that the king of kings and the Lord of lords is at the door ready for his triumphant return? Who are you trying to persuade? Has the gospel been presented with love, with conviction, with confidence, or with compromise? Well, in this church, we don't compromise the gospel. We don't. It has to be pure. And it has to be steadfast. Look, I'm not talking about going out there and with a bullhorn and yelling repent, you know. I'm not talking about that. But are you enjoying the Holy Spirit? Are you enjoying the Holy Spirit? Ask yourself, am I enjoying the Holy Spirit in my life? Are you fearlessly living out the gospel lovingly, joyfully, and infectiously for the kingdom? Are you living it out among the dead so that God can break their hearts so they can be born again? Now, if anyone hasn't surrendered their lives to Christ and they're sitting here right now, today is the day of salvation. Surrender your life to Christ and he will be faithful to save you. He'll remove the wrath from you, the condemnation from you. Let us pray. Lord Jesus, I pray for this church. I pray that you are glorified in this church, Lord. Always. I pray for everyone in this church and anyone who hasn't surrendered their lives, Lord. I pray that you break their hearts and bring them to their knees so that the only thing that they can do is look up and see you, Lord. I pray that in your holy name. Amen.